Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Usually at this time we'd pray together or we'd I'd read some scripture. Or, but I think what, what, what I'm being prompted by the Spirit I trust to do The fantastic thing about worship is it can't be compelled because it's an expression of love and you can't compel love. And it's it's easy for me after all these years to sincerely sing the words but not connect. Uh, You're not being insincere, but there's just not that connection, which is what transforms. So I'd like Izzy and the team just to lead us in that last chorus again, but to really intentionally, volitionally offer it. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. He's here. He wants you to connect. Richard Ross says to us, we're we're always absolutely, totally in the presence of God. All we lack is awareness. So let's just sing that as an offering to our good, good Father, our glorious Saviour, and to be thankful for the presence of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Izzy. just stand in his presence for a moment. David told us in the Shepherd's Psalm, your goodness and your mercy run after us. In waves of the Holy Spirit, might this room be enveloped in your goodness and your mercy as it has been as we've worshipped. May your words this morning, may your word this morning reveal your Son in new ways. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And keep me out of your way. Do your thing, Holy Spirit. In the name 
of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thanks so much to Izzy and uh, the worship team this morning for that. What a gift we have, don't we? They, they come so early in the morning, Luke and Ross and, uh, and Phil and the team on sound, the guys who ushered us in, the car park attendants, beautiful servants of God just quietly serving away so you can connect. And the prayer of it all is that you connect with him. Because when you do, he changes you. You leave different to how you came. And I'm sure there's more than just Trish and I agree with that this morning. <laughs> I get the privilege of launching a new series, In the Name. As Nick said last week, we're looking at aspects of the name of Jesus, and I have the privilege of beginning with preeminence. I was watching a new comedy series, trying it out, see whether it would, I'd enjoy it or we'd enjoy it. And suddenly, and without any motivation in the script, one of the characters very forcefully blasphemed with the Lord's name, Jesus Christ. And it was such a shock, came out of nowhere. And I find as I'm getting older, it's affecting me more, actually. But I just switched off. And I thought, do they ever stop to think, why that name? If it was the name of one of the butchers of history, and there's plenty to choose from, then you'd, that would make sense. But the one who taught us to love our enemies, do they not understand there's power in that name? Do they not understand there's another power that has wanted to devalue, besmirch, and, and belittle that name for thousands of years? Just before a message a couple of times back where I was speaking on the man at the pool of Bethesda, I was woken up about three in the morning, I told you, and one of the things that went on, I think, between the Lord and I there was him saying to me, I want my people to know the power of my name. So I'm delighted that the Lord's led our preaching team to, and Nick to, uh, to do this series. We know his name, but sometimes we're like the little guy in MPK. There was a, a story being told, and the person doing the story said, I wonder if you're smart enough to guess what I'm thinking of. It has long, floppy ears, nothing. It has a little tail, nothing. Hops, nothing. Lives in, in, in burrows under the ground, nothing. Getting desperate, likes carrots. Finally, one little hand went up. Yes, and the little guy said, well... I know the answer's Jesus, but it sounds a lot like a rabbit to me. <laughs> and yet that little guy was right. The answer is Jesus, but like him, we get it a bit confused. The word just becomes another word. Never, never would we do anything to dishonor the name. But we don't really draw often on the power of the name. Pray in the name of Jesus. But we misunderstand that, and we misuse it, and then people get discouraged, sometimes even wounded. See, in the name of Jesus isn't God's password <laughs> to get everything that I want. And over the weeks, we want to look at what it really means to, to say in the name by looking at the one who has the name. This series, though, is going to involve a culture clash between our culture and the culture of the kingdom of God, because our culture is self-sovereign. We, we, we are, it's my life. It's my choice. Ultimately, I decide. And the best summary I can come up with is, what do we want? Fill in the blank. When do we want it? Now. <laughs> We're self-sovereign. And 
We're upwardly mobile. Nick covered this brilliantly in that talk last week. It's online if you weren't able to get it. Uh, uh, the on drivenness. But we're upwardly mobile. In other words, we go for stratified achievement. There's a pecking order. And to put it simply, up is good. <laughs> the pecking order is there for what we look like, our relationships, our jobs, and up is good. There's a, a, a sentence of Eugene Peterson's. I often find his sentences very helpful. I think this one really suits this whole series. Jesus is the name that keeps us attentive to the God-defined, God-revealed life. He discovered as a young pastor from his lived experience how our ideas about God, good as they are, and our projects for God, sincere as our efforts are, they actually can cause us to think we're walking with God when we aren't. Gradually, little by little, we're moving away from God. Even losing interest in spending time in God's presence, we're too busy for him. He says this, it's the devil's work to get us thinking and acting for God. And then, sorry, say that again. It's the devil's work to get us thinking about God and acting for God. Then subtly to detach us, substituting ourselves, our godlike egos in the place originally held by our father. We're trusting the spirit to break new ground as we go through this series. For all of us, the reading we're about to have, many of you will know off by heart. But he, like Jesus, King of Kings, it can be just words sometimes, true words, words we love even. So this morning, I'm going to step aside as I read, ask for those online, thanks for joining us. Just leave the camera on the cross. At the center of this reading stands the cross. And as we read it together, it'll be on the screen, of course. Can you turn your mind from your God ideas, everything else you brought through those doors, from your God projects or your own projects, and turn your eyes upon Jesus? In your relationships with one another, and just stay focused on the cross. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue can acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Raised him to the highest place. See, Christ is preeminent. That is just an eternal cosmic reality. You may not like it. You may not accept it. You may not believe it. It doesn't change it. Christ is preeminent. And that pleased the Father. It was at the heart of God's plan for all eternity. In all things that he may have the preeminence. 
For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell. Everything we need is in him. Is in him. We sing it, but maybe I'm the only one, but I sing, all I need is in you, but I'll still keep doing it my way. Thank you very much. Christ is the answer, but I've got a few of my own that I always seem to try first. I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit again as you hear these words from the message. His preeminence. We look at this sun. Look at the sun. See the God who cannot be seen. See God's original purpose in everything created. Look at the sun. He was there from before anything came into existence. He holds it all together right up to this moment. He was supreme in the beginning. Leading his resurrection parade, he's supreme at the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. One of Tim Keller's two, Keller reckons that his two main mentors are um, Jonathan Edwards from the 1750s and C.S. Lewis. And Jonathan Edwards, in The Excellence of Christ, uh, conveyed it this way. And if you're visual like me, this might help. Jonathan Edwards says he's higher than the heavens, higher than the highest angels in heaven, so great that all men, all kings, all princes, all nations are like the dust on the balance. If you're going to put Jesus in one side of that, then everything else is like just the dust that you blow off. We pray in the name of Jesus. Here's the exciting thing. We're praying in the name of the preeminent one. This all-powerful, all-loving one. That's exciting. But here's the reality. We can only pray in his name if we're walking in his way, in his path. In fact, uh, where it says in verse 5, have the same mindset is how the NIV puts it, as was in Christ Jesus. Your, if your Bible's got cross-reference, it may very correctly send you to Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon me, you and learn of me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus has a gentle, humble heart. And so here are the two key characteristics of his heart. He humbled himself, verse 8, by becoming obedient. Humility and obedience go a long way to giving us what the, what the mindset of Jesus is. So if I pray in the name of Jesus, I'm praying what will make me more humble and more obedient. Humility. Jesus had more. If you want to think of everything as a prize, Jesus had a prize that our upwardly mobile culture cannot imagine. He was God. He had it all. And I use that word prize because it's one of the meanings of the Greek word here. It's not that Jesus did not think the fact that he had it all was a prize to be grasped or seized. And that's why if you've got the King Jimmy translation, you'll find it talks about robbery. He didn't think this was something to cling on to. Jesus had the ultimate prize. So how did he regard it? not something to be used to his own advantage. He made himself nothing. The word on the screen there, kenosis. 
and many of you will know that word, we talk about it a lot. It means emptying out. It literally means if I took that glass and emptied it out and shook and shook and shook and shook and waited until there was nothing left in there, that is kenosis. Jesus was in very nature God. The Greek word is morphe, and it means always was, always will be. He, never changing. He was God, and he never stopped being God. But he took the very nature, morphe, of a servant. So he was as human as he was God. When Jesus came to earth, he didn't trade in a bit of his godness. He didn't go, look, I'll, I'll stop being God a little bit, <laughs> just so I can fit in here. No, not at all. He stayed 100% God. Remember when he went up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and he's transfigured, his face shone like the sun, and his garments glowed as white as light. N.T. Wright puts it this way, for Jesus, being God, didn't excuse him from redemptive suffering. He didn't go, well, lost humanity, yeah, yeah, so what, I'm God. No, it didn't excuse him from suffering for us. It uniquely qualified him to do so. And that, I think that's really good. The reason I'm going to quote people more than usual is conveying this preeminence of Jesus is way beyond my pay grade. So I'm calling in a few mates to help, right? N.T. Wright says that it uniquely qualified him. Karl Barth says he came as a servant, so he was concealed as God. And yet... It's here above all that he's really and truly God. Concealed because Roman and Greek culture despised humility. We kind of see it because of the Christian influence on our Western mindset. Still, we see humility as, can be a good thing. Romans and the society of Jesus' day and before was despised. In fact, the Greeks, their idea of an ethical life, a good life, was spelled out in 147 maxims of the Delphic Canon, from Delphi, of course, and it was about 500 years before Jesus. Now, their word for, for, um, for uh, humility was tapenos, or tapenos. It's not even in any of the 147. Not there. For the Romans, even more so, humilitas in Latin was from humus, earth. It meant on the ground, crushed, debased. And if you showed humility before an equal or a lesser, it was actually shameful. Something to be ashamed of. What would have happened if Jesus had pushed all that to one side and thought, okay, I will come into this culture, I will come into this planet, and I will show them I am equal with God. What would have happened? I love this. Had he come into the world emphasizing his equality with God, the world would have been amazed, but not saved. See, Jesus could have come. He could have done what the devil tempted him to do. Throw yourself down off the pillar of the temple. Land safely on the earth. You will get the gold buzzer in Jerusalem's Got Talent. You'll go straight through to the grand final. But he didn't. He didn't come to impress us. He came to save us. He came, as you see up there, to carry a cross. And that brings us to his obedience. His humility, his obedience. He became a servant, but the word actually means bondservant or slave. He was utterly surrendered to the will of his father. He said, I always do what pleases him. My father works and I work. 
I do nothing on my own. I always do what pleases him. What pleased the father? What pleased the father was for him to become a servant and then to die. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. So to die, even death on a cross. If I am praying in the name of Jesus, I am praying what will make me obey and serve out of love. Rob Reamer at the workshop that many of us, some of the staff did, uh, the, the soul care workshop last week, said walking with Jesus is obedience-based, not knowledge-based. We walk as he did. We obey as he did, as he enables us. And when we talk about the cross, which is why I wanted it central when we had the reading, we struggle with the brutality. We really can't imagine the brutality. It's probably a good thing, the horror of that. But do you know what was way, way in advance of that even? The shame of the cross. The shame. The cross came from the Assyrians and the Babylonians first, and then the Persians adopted it. Alexander the Great picked it up and brought it to the Greeks and the Eastern Mediterranean, and then the Phoenicians gave it to the Romans, and the Romans perfected the horror. But it was shameful. Cicero, the famous Roman statesman uh, and uh, author and philosopher, he was about 100 years before Jesus, he said, Far be the very name of a cross from the imagination, eyes and ears of a Roman. And when they were even sentencing some to be, someone to be crucified, they wouldn't say the word cross. They had this Latin euphemism that they used, and it meant let the person be hanged on a cursed tree. And of course, to any Jewish believer, any Jew, sorry, the, the idea of Jesus being crucified was clear proof he was cursed by God. They just turned to Deuteronomy. Jesus dying a shameful death on an accursed cross. From that cross cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the bottom rung from the equality with God that he had and has. This moment that is beyond our thinking. But do you notice the progression? Have a look at this. He becomes a human, down. He becomes a servant, down. He goes to death, down. Shameful death on a cross, down. My God, why have you forsaken me, down. Downward mobility, downward mobility. What uh, I think Peterson calls one of his books, a long obedience in the same direction, is what our Saviour did for us. Downward mobility. So when I pray in the name of Jesus, I'm foregoing power in order to walk in love. It's not meant to make me look better. It's meant to make me more like him. In the name of Jesus means foregoing power in order to have love. For those who love power, they always come second to the power of love, by the way. But if there's a poster boy for those who loved power and for having the upwardly mobile life, it's Emperor Diocletian. He defines it. He was the first emperor to survive long enough to retire. As his health failed, he retired and he went to split on the Dalmatian coast to grow veggies. Now, uh, you probably don't know him for that reason. You probably know him because he was the emperor that invoked the longest and worst persecution of our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Under him, a nine-year reign of terror was inflicted with dreadful suffering. So this man tried to eliminate the church. Towards the end of his life, he had his cathedral built in split in 305 AD, and there it is. <laughs> I love this. Very shortly after his death, the, the tomb of the man who gave his life to getting rid of the church became a church. That is actually the Temple of St. Domnius, and it's the second oldest cathedral in the world still in use in its original structure. Some of the saints he put to death, some of our martyrs rest there. Well, at least their bones do. The present pulpit was created in 1275 by Master Mavro. And Merle and I went through that cathedral and had a look at that, that pulpit. And it's decorated with red and green porphyry from his tomb. And I said to Merle, how cool is this? The man who gave his life to eliminating the church has the gospel preached from his tomb with the pulpit decorated from his tomb saying Jesus Christ is Lord every week for th for ever since he died. Well, very soon after he died. See, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. And I wonder if you noticed the word therefore in the reading. Jesus became obedient right to the point of death. Therefore, God highly exalted him. See, Jesus bent his knee to serve us. God says one day every knee will bow to him. Jesus humbled himself. God highly exalted him. This is God's heart, and this is the unbreakable, irreplaceable, it's the way of the kingdom of God. It's the way of the kingdom. The proud will be humbled. The humble will be exalted. Praying in the name of Jesus is the, it's the path of the humble. Humble is good. It's great. not fun, but it's good. When Jesus was watching, I'm going to do the verses in reverse order to what's on the screen, but, uh, but I'm sure you'll be able to manage. When Jesus was watching the Pharisees uh, at a Pharisee's house, the guests were picking the places of honour. You know how sometimes you go to a reception and the person's talking to you, but their eyes are scanning the room to see who they really want to talk to, and it's somebody who's a bit more important than you. Right? I'm talking to you because there's got to do something, but there's got to be somebody here who's a little more important than you that I could be spending my time with. Well, the, the, they were doing that, and Jesus said, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. All will be. James says, God's opposed, there's so many verses, but James says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me just say, I don't want to be where God is opposing me. <laughs> I don't want any opponents. I certainly don't want God as an opponent. I think Basil Pennington nails what drives me to seek the best places sometimes. What drove those people Jesus was watching, because it hasn't changed. And I wonder how you relate to this. He says, we do this sort of thing. We strive to be upwardly mobile because we believe that our value depends on what we have, what we can do, and what everybody else thinks of us. So we try to find our security in what we have. We try to find our validation in what we can do. And we try to find our peace in what everybody else thinks of us. And it's all a lie. It's all a lie. Uh, the, uh, 
I, I love the work, I've only just discovered it, but I, I really love the work of uh, David Benner. And he says, we reach for these things like Adam and Eve reached for fig leaves to cover up their shame. And as I've prepared today, shame's been really placed on my heart. See, guilt you can kind of deal with, because if you've done so, you can almost in some ways pay for your guilt. You can pay the penalty, you can restore stuff. But what do you do with the shame? How do you, well, how do you deal with shame? <laughs> well, our beautiful Saviour already did for you. Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the, the cross, despising, scorning the shame. Now, it doesn't make my shame less shameful. It just makes his love greater than I can imagine. And somehow, I can't describe it, but I know it happens, and it can happen for you in this room this morning, right now. He, his love reaches out and scoops up your shame and takes it into himself, and it's gone. Some of that shame is a lie. It's not your shame at all, but still affects you. Some of it is shame that you pretty rightly feel. It's for me. But the Saviour on the cross took it into himself scorning it. Why did he scorn it? Because of the joy of seeing you without it. Because of the joy of being able to say, you do not need to carry that shame anymore in Jesus' name. There was another thing that was kind of um, placed on my heart too. It comes from that, what do others think of me? I think maybe for some in the room, I'm meant to mention this. One of my early mentors is with the Lord now. But he was a great gift to Merle and I, especially to me. And one day in one of our sessions, he said, the Holy Spirit's bringing something up in you, mate. And I don't, he used to call me Cobber. The Holy Spirit's bringing something up in you, Cobber, and I can't tell you what it is. You've got to let him tell you. And he said, this might help. What's your greatest fear? And instantly I said, being invisible. I grew up being invisible, the invisible kid. My greatest fear is being invisible. It certainly was at that time. Still around, by the way. I'm not, I haven't arrived, dear God. We're all, the ground around the cross is dead level. <laughs> if, you, if, you look, if you look among those struggling, my smiling face will be there. I said, oh, being invisible. But I think so many of us in the room, aren't we all pushed a bit to make a name for ourselves? Don't we all want to be somebody? Make a name. Here's the amazing thing. <laughs> the preeminent one gives you his name. That was his plan. That's the whole thing. That's where it all started. Long ago, before he endured the cross, long ago before he made the world, God loved us and chose us to adopt us into his own family. If I'm adopted into a family, I take their name. They place their name on me. He places his name. And it's not a name. The, little, the, the definite article, the little Greek word, to, is in there. It is the name. The name above every name he places on you. This is, I'd like you to meet, there's a member of my family. It's actually part of, he's actually my bride. He loves changing names, you know. <laughs> Abraham, Nick mentioned this briefly last week, Abraham, Jacob becomes Israel, 
Two of the churches in Revelation are promised a new name, Pergamon and Pergamos and Philadelphia. I wonder what new name he has for you if you will walk in his name and follow his, his way, the servant way of the preeminent one. See, Jesus didn't come to gain your love, didn't need it. He already had perfect love for all eternity in that magnificent love of the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each only glorifying the other in perfect harmony. That's what he left. So what did he come for? He came to bring that love to you. He already had it. He came to bring it to us. He came to bring us as adopted family members into that perfect harmony and love. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Grace. See, there's another thing where we just hit head on. Hit it head on. I said I'm enjoying David Benner's stuff lately, and he says grace is totally alien to human psychology. He's dead right, for me anyway. He's right. Grace is alien to us. See, our psyche and our culture means if we hear this reading today, have the mindset that was in Christ Jesus, we think, I have got to try harder. I've got to get some books on how to have Christ's mindset. I've got to really get some techniques here. But see, God isn't seeking my obedience through my effort. Won't work anyway. But that's not what he wants. He doesn't want obedience from the strength of my determination. He wants his mercy to prompt me to choose to surrender to his love. Finally give up. Finally accept his love. Stop trying to earn his love. Stop trying to hide my brokenness. Actually allow his love to come in and transform me. Bernard says it this way. When I find it, what we long for in our heart, we will pursue with the totality of our being, not simply with our will. And it's God's mercy that does this. It's not in view of the impending judgment and the fact that you are a useless worm, get yourself together, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get into that hamster wheel and run, you slack little toad. That's not what he's saying. In view of God's, that's what you say to yourself. In view of God's mercy. That's what I say to myself. I shouldn't hang that on you. You're probably all well balanced, totally aware of Jesus, and wondering why I'm taking so long. So let me draw to a close, because time has gone. No, that's not how it works. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, and then see what happens further down. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Grace is alien. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he does that. Do you know, there's a translation of that first verse of our reading I discovered this week. It's by St. Victorinus. Now, he lived in 270 AD. Now, he was actually one of the martyrs under Diocletian, gave his life. But he translates it this way. Experience this in yourselves as you experience Christ. They were on it back then, weren't they? Don't know about it. Experience it as you experience Jesus. 
So if, if, if the presence of Jesus, the preeminent one, becomes central in my life, the rest follows. The rest will follow. William Barclay said, nobody ever came to Christ saying, I cannot resist this might. They come, as the hymn says, to the cross and they say, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It's his love. Would you pray with me, get the worship team to come back? And as you're in prayer, I said I wanted some of my, some of the, the champions of the faith to help me out today. Here's Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Listen to this. Be good to have your eyes closed. Shut out the distractions. Listen to the Holy Spirit. If you do not lie prostrate on the ground before the cross, you have never seen it. If you're not humbled by the presence of Jesus, you don't know him. You are so lost that nothing could save you but the sacrifice of God's only begotten. Think of that. And as Jesus stooped for you, bow yourself in lowliness at his feet. Just spend time with God as we hear this. The worship team's going to sing to us, not from us. And they just, you don't need to join in. Just be with the Lord.
sing it together one more time. Worthy is your name. you in prayer and then we'll sing our last song but I um, with a little bit of nervousness I must say so please don't feel bad for me if no one chooses to respond to this but I want to stand down the front here to say everything I've preached today I am journeying with in no sense am I up here and all of you down here and so I want to stand and say that before you but maybe the Lord is challenging you inviting you calling you to become free by standing up, coming forward with me just before I pray and saying whether it's I'm going to leave this shame at the cross, I will not carry this shame anymore. Jesus carried it for me. It may be I, I'm laying it down. What does that song say? I lay it all down again. And just, but I want to humble myself. God gives grace to the humble. I very reluctantly went to hear someone speak because I had um, I'd been a f very keen on their ministry. They'd gone off into a bit of error and I, I wrote them off. The Holy Spirit challenged me and said, Graham, you grow in grace. Do you think this person might have grown in grace? He gave a, 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 an offering, an offer such as this. And in those days, I thought I had a bit of a reputation in town, sadly. And I knew I had to respond, and I did. <laughs> and out of several hundred people in that auditorium, I was the only one who went forward. Didn't enjoy it at the time, but I'm so glad I did. If you want to join, get easy to sing that one more time. We have time. Now, there's nothing magical about coming forward. It's simply a way, one way of being humble and saying to the evil one, <laughs> go away in Jesus name and coming to not to me I'm standing with you at the foot of the cross just once more thanks Izzy just quickly come if that's you if you feel oh I don't know if I should yes you should if your heart's going at 105 come forward it's easier than having to see the doctor right? so just just respond if he's calling you for whatever reason then we'll pray and you can go back for the final song
Here we are, Lord Jesus, your ragamuffin children. We're shifting the suitcase from one hand to the other, but we've responded to put it down at the foot of the cross. We don't want to learn more about the cross. We want to be transformed by it. Well, we do want to learn more, but only what transforms us, Lord. Lord, I pray that out of all I've said, that the stuff that is just from me will, with your breath of love, just blow that away. But plant deep within us the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord Jesus, you break yokes. You mend broken hearts. You set captives free. Jesus, we gladly surrender to your Lordship. Holy Spirit, we receive you. Come, heal, restore, renew, fill. Let's all stand together. We'll sing our final hymn. If, If anyone would like prayer, then maybe just take a seat near the front. Any ministry leaders or others can pray with you as we conclude. But let's all stand and give thanks to God together. And you're free, of course, to go back to your seats if that's what's right for you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.